From the EAH team, welcome to Everything About Hydrogen. This is the podcast that explores the world of hydrogen and its derivative technologies and interrogates how it is changing the world of energy as we know it. Join host Patrick Malloy, manager in the Breakthrough Technologies Group at RMI, Alicia Eastman, president of Intercontinental Energy, and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, as the team speak to some of the most innovative and exciting players in the industry. If you're a fan of the show, we'd love if you would leave a five-star review for everything about hydrogen wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help boost us up the charts and let more people find us. And with that, let's leave it to the team and get on with the show. Hey, Alicia. How's life? What's going on? It's good. It's good, Patrick. I am in... I get the feeling you're meant to be on vacation. I am. I, I'm not sure I know what that word means. I think maybe it was defined differently. <laughs> um, but uh, I, uh, I'm i in Stockholm, and uh, I'm with my friend and her godchildren. Or my godchildren, actually. It's her actual children. Um, so it is actually a, a, a good vacation, but there's always a little bit to do even on vacation days. This is actually kind of a, a passion of mine, you may have noticed. So um, I think it's always interesting. Never. Never. <laughs> we wouldn't have picked that up. Well, yeah. well, we'll hope you're enjoying Stockholm. So who have we got joining us today? We have Ignacio de Calonia. <laughs> I really think I messed up that last name. Uh, he's, he's the chief investment officer of IFC's Global Infrastructure Department, based in London, and amongst other responsibilities, he co-leads IFC's Global Green Hydrogen Hub team. So IFC established a green hydrogen hub team to bring together IFC's expertise across the low carbon value chain and evaluate opportunities in the area. In addition to this role, uh, Ignacio also leads IFC's sustainable finance practice in the infrastructure space. So he's focusing on supporting IFC clients to issue green, social, sustainability, and sustainability-linked financial instruments. So he is also responsible for managing a number of IFC's key Western European-based clients in the energy and mining sectors. Um, Before that, before London, he was based in Istanbul, Cairo, D.C., um, amongst other places for IFC, and he has extensive experience in the field of international finance and uh, having worked in both equity and debt across IFC and different areas um, for, I think, about 20 years. So he has had a lot of different experiences, which I think actually leads to better judgment overall and, and more creativity. I, I always find it funny when uh, you have people thumping their chests because they've been doing the same thing for 30 years. And I, I think, well... <laughs> Maybe if you did a lot of different things, you might have a little more lateral thinking, a little bit of ability to uh, learn from other sectors or, or from other things and, and move forward in, in whatever it is you're, you're focusing on. Um, and, and I find that he is super dynamic and, and really engaged and really trying to push in all the different areas. And I think part of that is having a very different background and, and having all these different experiences to draw from and to, and to use in different use cases. That's um, really valuable. So I, I think he's, he's, he's quite a, a good representative of the IFC and it will be good to, to get him on and then uh, have him speak for himself.
Ignacio, it's so good to see you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing? Great. It's a pleasure to be to be on it. Wonderful. I mean, I think the, the most interesting part is, is the beginning is just understanding a little bit about what you do and, and how you got there out of just personal curiosity. Um, love to hear your backstory and, and sort of anything you want to share with us. Yeah, no, Alicia, great. Um, so look, uh, I'm um, a chief investment officer in IFC's global infrastructure department, uh, and I'm also the global co-lead for our green hydrogen efforts. And I'll, I'll go in maybe a bit later as to, you know, what, you know, the mission of IFC and, and, and what we're doing. But I've been at the institution now for uh, nearly 20 years, which ages me. And most of that time has been in energy in, and in infrastructure. You know, I've been doing a whole series of different things from, you know, renewables, but also in the past worked on chemicals and fertilizers, oil and gas as well in, in the past, as well as mining. So a pretty broad spectrum in terms of my sector experience. Uh, and I started off in, in Washington, D.C., in our headquarters, but have been based also in Cairo and Istanbul and now in, in, in London. Uh, and before I see, for my sins, I used to work in investment banking at the infamous Lehman Brothers, where I used to work in uh, mergers and acquisitions and, and, and debt capital markets. So very much a, a finance background, but really deciding uh, very early on in my career to, to really uh, do that with a, a development angle here at uh, IFC. Great. Well, thank you. Um, and, and for what you do as well. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's public sector finance, so it is, um, you know, for the good of the world, which is which is uh, something we appreciate. Uh, Patrick, did you want to continue? So Ignacio, thanks for that. And maybe maybe if you can start off by explaining a little bit about what the IFC is, how it works alongside the the, the World Bank or MIGA or various other kind of multilateral development agencies. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate for, for many people, the world of multilaterals is just a, a big jumble of sort of acronyms. So um, let me try and sort of clarify what IFC does and how we fit into the World Bank Group. So uh, IFC, International Finance Corporation, we're the private sector arm of the World Bank Group. Um, so we were established back in 1956. We're owned by about 186 uh, member countries. And really our role is to invest in private sector companies and projects in emerging markets. Uh, and we invest and, and mobilize about $30 billion a year. And that's uh, in the form of equity, debt, and everything in between. So mezzanine, subordinated instruments, all the rest. When we invest in equity, we're always minority partners, uh, typically up to you know 20% stake. So to be clear, IFC is not a, a grant or uh, a giving institution. We're not a sort of donor organization. We really co-invest with the private sector. And really our role is to, um, you know, provide that financing, but also provide the confidence to the private sector to invest in, in emerging markets and in sort of some of the trickier jurisdictions uh, in, in particular. But those projects have to be, of course, bankable. They have to be profitable. Uh, and then we can complement that with donor money from institutions or, or, or donor uh, countries that can you know, help to sort of blend that into our financing. But the core IFC is, uh, you know, has to be profitable and has to be uh, looking at bankable projects. Projects. Well, how would you describe IFC capabilities in hydrogen specifically? No, great question, Alicia. So, uh, 
obviously, uh, at least green hydrogen is, is a nascent sector. So, uh, you know, we, we have built this new green hydrogen hub team that sort of I'm co-leading, uh, bringing in all the expertise of IFC. And the reality is, I think, as IFC, we have pretty unique capabilities across the whole hydrogen value chain um, historically. So if you look at the different elements of the, of the, of the, of the value chain, you know, with finance, renewables in emerging markets for, you know, decades, uh, we're probably one of the largest financiers of, of renewable energy in, in emerging markets with finance probably, uh, well, over 20 gigawatts of, of projects. And that's with, you know, some of the larger companies like EDF from France, NL from Italy, Mazdar, uh, but also some of the, the smaller uh, renewable developers. Uh, but not only on the generation side, we've also financed transmission lines and storage. Uh, and also on the gas side, we, we've historically finance, you know, LNG and, and other forms of pipeline gas uh, in the past. Then if you look at the sort of the, the, the chemical part, we're, we've also been a very big financier of chemical companies in the past. Um, so if you look at the, uh, for example, ammonia now, Traditionally, it's been, of course, grey ammonia or urea. Uh, companies like Indorama in Nigeria or o- OCI uh, Fertiglobe, the large uh, fertilizer company, we've financed them in, in Egypt. Or Yara, uh, again, the, the large European fertilizer company, we've financed them in Zambia and Brazil and Colombia. So we've, we've touched along that sort of part of the value chain um, significantly. And then finally, on the end users, so some of the biggest uh, potential end users of green hydrogen are clients of ours. Um, so if you look, for example, in the mining space, uh, Rio Tinto, Anglo-American in the sort of phosphate space, OCP in Morocco. Um, and then uh, you know, desalination plants we've also financed. With, uh, we recently announced that we're looking to finance a large desalination plant and, and pipeline in, in Chile. So I think when you look at that, we've, we've got you know, decades of experience across that, that green hydrogen value chain. And I think we, we can touch on it later. Uh, that's the complexity, right, of, of, this, of this nascent new industry. It has to bring all these different pieces together uh, to, to make it work. Um, and maybe just to give one example of, of how that experience comes together in a country which is looking at green hydrogen in a, in a major way, um, Egypt, for example, um, there we've, we just financed uh, one gigawatt of wind and solar. Uh, in Egypt with an Emirati company called uh, Amea Power. Uh, But we also uh, helped to structure and finance probably the largest solar uh, park in Africa um, a few years ago, the the Bemban uh, Solar Park, and that was 1.6 gigawatts uh, in in Egypt. Um, So again, if you look at Egypt, on the renewable side, we've been major, major players. We're helping now the government uh, privatize some of its, uh, and, and bring in the private sector and some of its desalination plants. Uh, we've also financed, as I mentioned before, um, you know, OCI and a number of the, the, the fertilizer, ammonia and urea producers in, in Egypt. Uh, but not only that, we've also financed some of the ports. Uh, so Sochna port, it's a bunkering terminal. We've financed them as well as many glass and cement and refineries in Egypt historically. So it's really to see how can, with all those contacts, with all that knowledge of, of financing these projects, can we really add value to, uh, for example, in Egypt, that those green hydrogen projects where, as we know, uh, there have been you know, a, a number of MOUs and framework agreements signed and, and how can we you know, provide that you know, expertise and structuring those projects. That's, that's, that's really, really quite a broad and kind of interesting spectrum of, of projects. And, and obviously, as, as you flagged, you know, historically, it was, it was more on the, the kind of kind of conventional production pathways. But I suppose you know, changing the, the lens maybe just a, a touch 
you know, where we look at green hydrogen capacity and, and green fuels, maybe even, you know, stretching into ammonia and fertilizer production, um, what, what role or function do you, do you or the, does the IFC specifically kind of see for, for these pathways in developing countries beyond, you know, the specific project development, perhaps? So I, I think the, the way we're approaching this space, I suppose I can, I can summarize it in sort of no regrets, uh, local, 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 and uh, admit you can be wrong, uh, if you want to sort of summarize in three sort of uh, ways. So I think that the no regrets is there's a clear role in our view, whether it's in developing countries or in the developed world, to tackle the the no regret sector. So the ones where there is no alternative to decarbonize than to go on you know to green hydrogen and i'm thinking in specifically at you know green ammonia for example for the fertilizer sector it's it's a no brainer in terms of at least the, the decarbonization story uh, similarly on on, on in, in green steel so i think in all these in these countries and and we can talk about specific countries whether it's brazil or others you know there's a huge potential uh, to green their agricultural sector and green uh, and green a lot of the sort of heavy industry in particular, you know, steel, you know, refineries, at least in the first instance, uh, etc. So I think that's sort of the no regrets part of it. I think the local, local, local part of the equation is each country will have its specificities in terms of when does it make sense to use and uh, to develop green hydrogen. It will depend, obviously, on, on the on the local uh, uh, resources, um, obviously solar and wind and renewable resources, but also into uh, barriers to entry, logistics, uh, and a, a number of other things. So I don't think you can do one broad brushstroke and, and say, well, this doesn't make sense, uh, you know, as a, as a general statement. I think you really need to look at the local circumstances, including obviously regulation and, 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 and taxes. So that's really the, the approach we're, we're looking at. That second element is local, 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 look at the local circumstances and see what, what makes sense. And I think the third is admit you can be wrong. I said that there are some no regret sectors, but there are other sectors where I think there's still a healthy debate as to which decarbonization pathway makes most sense. And I think there we, we have some views. Um, I think we will be cautious in terms of banking those borderline sectors. Uh, but I, I don't think we should be categorically stating what the pathway is going to be at this stage of, um, of, 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 the, of the journey. I think it's too early if we're talking about passenger vehicles or buses or et cetera. I think, you know, you can have different views as to whether hydrogen will play the predominant role, or whether other, uh, you know, EV batteries uh, will, will, will be the winners. Um, but again, I would try not to be too dogmatic about things at this stage. In your portfolio, like most, um, multilaterals, you, and you mentioned uh, cement once, you must have cement in every country, every developing country in the world, <laughs> an investment in a cement company, I would imagine, or, or you know, concrete maybe to get really fancy. Um, <laughs> uh, how uh, are you, do you have, I mean, I, I completely agree with you that each situation in each country is different because of the the resources that they have and the specific issues they have, the specific things that need to be decarbonized and the methodologies available to them. Um, so everyone is going to be very specific. But in terms of of the cement and the concrete, that seems like something that you might have to replicate pretty much everywhere. And I'm just curious if, if there's any kind of plan or, or if there are some things that you can build a model for and roll it out worldwide 
And if, if, if cement is one of those areas that you're looking at or any, any others? No, we did indeed in the past uh, finance a lot of cement to, to, uh, to the extent that at some point people were calling us um, uh, International Finance of Cement uh, uh, Corporation. But well, w- what we are doing, and uh, this is a more systematic, broader approach than just hydrogen, we're looking at decarbonization pathways for different industries and different clients. So, you know, we've done that for a number of different, we're looking at the cement sector, the steel sector, we've done it in, in the mining sector for nickel and copper in collaboration with our World Bank colleagues and looking at Broadly, what are the decarbonization? What's the decarbonization pathway? What are the options, etc.? But that's at a very general level. Uh, you then have to sort of drill down, and we're also we've also put together uh, teams that do what we're calling corporate climate advisory, which is actually looking and engaging with specific companies across their specific operations, and saying, right, well, in you know Bangladesh or in India. This is where we what you we think you should be looking at in terms of tech, and then not only helping them on the strategy, but then helping them seeing and investigating those technologies. So, what we have, and we can talk about it, is uh, we've created what we call an upstream engagement model, where we will uh, be able to co-fund feasibility studies or even pilot projects on specific technologies in specific projects um, and, and, and countries. And we're doing that in the hydrogen space. So we're saying, well, look, this is, your, this is the broad sector decarbonization pathway. This is for this particular company. We think this is where you could head given you, where your operations are. And let's co-fund some studies on specific applications to sort of test it out. You know, are the costs coming out where we think they should be coming out? Are there regulatory barriers that are preventing you in this particular country from implementing that technology? Uh, and that gets into really the, the specific and then ultimately, if it does pan out that that is the right technology, green hydrogen does make sense in this particular instance, then we're, we've obviously got our balance sheet to help finance that and hopefully mobilize third parties to co-finance with us. Has IFC published any information on these studies or um, plans uh, to put together studies? Is there, is there anything out there that we can look at uh, that's been written down or that, that could be a guide um, for different countries or any particular aspect? Yeah, so we, we work a lot with our World Bank colleagues on on uh, on, on reports and and try to publish them. So so Chris has worked in the, in the past on on a, on a sort of landmark World Bank group uh, report, uh, which was uh, green hydrogen in, in developing countries, which uh, was published back in in, in twenty twenty, um, and and where we uh, we sort of contributed to, to to that. But in addition to what we're doing with the World Bank, we've we've done you know uh, reports on hydrogen, for example, on the power sector we've looked at the role of critical minerals in in, in hydrogen to, to see if there are any uh, particular bottlenecks in, in critical minerals in, in in the hydrogen sort of uh, value chain and and and, and supply chain um, we're also working on a number of, of new reports uh, that hopefully will be uh, coming out by by the end of uh, uh, well in the coming months uh, so there's one report that we're doing which is an assessment framework for green hydrogen projects in in emerging markets um, uh, which again would hopefully come in out in the next uh, few months months. Uh, we're also collaborating with our World Bank colleagues who are uh, doing a report on financing uh, green hydrogen uh, and then more broadly collaborating with the World Bank group in, in what they um, 
they have launched, which is the the Hydrogen for Development Partnership, which they launched in the la at the last COP, um, which is uh, a, a collaboration with both uh, governments as well as uh, private sector and and other organisations to really push the the dialogue around hydrogen uh, forward and 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 looking for, looking to do additional publications. So. We've we've discussed the kind of the the broad kind of um, efforts in the, the the general space, and also obviously the publications and, and role IFC and, and World Bank Group also play in that space more generally. I think maybe maybe let's let's make this a little more uh, tangible. And, and if I can ask directly, you know, is there is there areas where the IFC is already active in financing green hydrogen work? Are there any perhaps examples today we can we can point to as you know kind of the, the directional kind of projects that, that you're kind of on the lookout for, perhaps? We've approved uh, just under 10 early stage engagements with actual projects and, 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 and private sector sponsors in, in the green hydrogen space. And, um, and those different use cases, so we're looking at um, uh, quite a bit of that is sort of green ammonia for export, um, but we're also looking at you know, hydrogen for, for um, long haul sort of transportation, uh, ground transportation. We're also looking at a project uh, for hydrogen for buses, uh, uh, and then uh, another one, which is uh, hydrogen for energy storage, which I'll touch on. Uh, and if you look at the countries that those projects are in, it's you know Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Barbados, Poland, South Africa, India. So pretty, pretty wide uh, span of, of projects. And when I say that we're supporting projects, we're doing it, um, I think, in two key uh, ways. One is, as I mentioned, we're funding feasibility studies and pilot projects. Now, those would typically be for, I would say, small to medium-sized projects because we can put in just a few million dollars. So uh, typically, you know, anywhere from one to eight million dollars, we, we can contribute to those feasibility studies. Uh, but the second area that what we're doing is we're also uh, providing input to the very large-scale projects as a potential debt lender. So uh, there, we're looking at bankability issues, uh, and we're in you know discussions with some of the um, you know large projects that have been announced. I mean, we've got a we're in touch with uh, I think we've counted about four hundred different projects in emerging markets. So it's quite quite a wide span. But if we look at the first category, which is you know funding feasibility studies and, and pilot projects, um, you know one example I can give is is what we're doing in in Barbados. And, and there we're supporting uh, HDF, Hydrogène de, de France and, and Rubis, uh, to look at an integrated power uh, and hydrogen project, which is expected to provide sort of baseload power for uh, Barbados. Uh, now, Barbados currently, you know, 90% of the energy um, that it uses is, is comes from imported uh, fossil fuels, and it has a really ambitious uh, plan to get to 100% sort of renewables by by 2030. So, this project that we're looking at is is quite innovative uh, in the sense that it is combining, you know, hydrogen, uh, so an electrolyzer, so about 50 megawatts of of, of solar. Um, then you've got a, an electrolyzer, you've got hydrogen storage, and then you've got battery. And, and the purpose of that is to provide 30 megawatts of you know, baseload power during the day and then you know, three megawatts during, during the night. Um, so you know, we're, we're helping to, to, to fund those studies and see, see what, what pans out, uh, where the costs come out uh, and, and the results of, and, you know, and also learn from issues that might come out of the project uh, so that we can see whether it makes sense to replicate that in other, uh, for example, island economies or in other off-grid uh, type of solutions. So that's sort of one, one, one example of, uh, of a project that we're uh, currently uh, supporting. 
That's really interesting. Are you considering, I mean, the distributed energy, obviously a necessity in island nations and places that are uh, separated, like mining is usually in the middle of nowhere. Lots of things uh, are using diesel right now and paying a really high price for it, and they could be doing it in a clean way. But have you also even looked at places like Ukraine that might like to have a distributed energy system forever <laughs> because they might have a target on their back for a very long time or, or, or different, just uh, are there other situations in, in developing countries where distributed energy um, is also energy security and, and that, that hydrogen can play a role in that is, is, have you guys looked at situations like that? Yeah, I mean, we're starting to look at those 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 situation again. So Barbados uh, project is is uh, one of the ones that we're doing uh, around sort of where you're looking at um, you know hydrogen for 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 power and uh, for security of of, of supply. Uh, I would say that the majority of the projects that we're currently looking at are more on the green ammonia space for uh, uh, fertilizer because I think. Um, you know, one of the key issues that we're obviously seeing, at least in these initial projects, is the issue of offtake, right? So, uh, how how do you get uh, for a project to be bankable? How do you get that that offtaker? And we're currently seeing many of the projects um, uh, in the space looking to export green ammonia towards Europe or Japan or other places. And I think that's that's really the bulk of the of the volumes. But we are looking at you know cases like like in Barbados for uh, more sort of niche applications. Um, I think you'll see more of those as the costs come down uh, and and uh, and the economics become uh, more robust. But even now, as you say, Alicia, there are situations where the uh, conventional fuel, conventional energy is very expensive because of whether it's logistics or uh, inland sort of situation. Um, and and uh, yeah, we are looking at some of those situations. I'm wondering too, um, just as a multilateral development bank, IFC is meant to take more risk than the private sector. And I, I know you describe IFC as being in the private sector, but uh, there there is a role where you sort of maybe the first to go into something that looks risky to a typical standard bank, but um, you you know might go there first. And as you said, you might get into something where maybe the uh, financials don't quite work, but they're heading in the right direction. Is is, is there anything way you can help us understand how you you enable um, these entities to close on financing when they're early, when no one's ever done it before, or you know what, what are the typical things that you run into that you help out with to uh, help the hydrogen market um, in these various countries? Yeah. So look, I, I think you know, as I said, uh, we need we need ultimately the projects to be bankable because one of the objectives that we're trying to achieve is to mobilize capital. Uh, we've got a a decent sized balance sheet. It's not small, but it's still a, a drop in the ocean uh, compared to you know the needs. So we need to restructure projects, which will ultimately bring in. You know, whether it's commercial banks or other sort of private sector, uh, are very conscious of. Having said that, we have been pioneers in many sectors. So in the renewable sector, you know, we helped to put together uh, the you know, first renewable rounds in Argentina. We've helped create a renewables market and solar market in, through our sort of scaling solar uh, program in, in, in Zambia. And uh, we, as I mentioned, in Egypt, we helped to structure this, you know, large, uh, large scale sort of solar, uh, solar project. So, 
we, we really um, are not afraid to sort of pioneer. Um, but I think the way we see our role is, as I said, first is to take early stage funding risks. So funding the feasibility studies, the pilot projects. It's not a huge amount of money, but what it is, is, is um, uh, us applying that experience that we have in emerging markets and helping the, the project developers uh, get over the hurdles, whether they be regulatory hurdles or, or others. So that early stage funding is, is one. The second thing that we can do is we can take equity. Um, so there are instances, and we did that a lot in the, in the, in the renewable sector, where we would take equity participation. About 25%, by the way, of our portfolio globally is, is, is equity. So we, are, we aren't afraid of taking equity, equity risk. But again, I think where we can bring in again when we come in in equity is is that that uh, you know the value add is is the knowledge of the market and how we can help make the connections. And then on the on the debt side, uh, when we do provide debt, we do need the project to be well structured, but we can take longer tenors, for example, than the commercial uh, bank sector. So we can go uh, longer tenors. We can take obviously political risks that maybe commercial banks and others are 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 afraid of of taking, and we can maybe bring in our uh, other World Bank Group agency, MIGA, which is the Multilateral Investment Guarantee Agency, to cover some of the political risks of the private sector. So very there there are many ways in which we can de-risk. Uh, a project. But having said that, there are some risks that are not bankable, and we do need other parties to come in. So again, I'm just going back to green ammonia as an example, the offtake. There are few institutions, if any, private institutions, who are going to be willing to take market risk on green, uh, green, uh, green ammonia price uh, right now. So we, we will require, we do need somebody to come in to provide long-term offtake. And it's great to see, you know, governments like, you know, the German government, the H2 Global Program, the European Union coming in with, with similar programs, the Japanese are coming in with their scheme. And, and that, but that, so we do need that type of mechanism to de-risk, even for an institution like us, because ultimately, you know, our shareholders, i.e. the governments who, who own IFC, they do expect us to structure things which, 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 um, which make sense. And then finally, what would the, the last thing that we're, we're trying to do is bring in concessional funding. So our balance sheet is, is, um, is a balance sheet that we're trying to obviously preserve and make sure that things are bankable. But there are sources of concessional funding that we can bring into our projects to cover additional non-bankable risks. So for example, if um, there's a risk on the electrolyzer performance, um, well, who's going to cover that? Well, if it's not the electrolyzer manufacturer, if it's not the sponsor, we need somebody to cover it. It's unfair to um, for a, a financial institution be it us or a commercial bank to to bear that risk. So somebody has to cover that risk. Maybe there's concessional funding that can come in and and, and bear that type of risk. Um, so I think it's really combining all these elements to cobble together, if you will, bankable projects um, and and uh, and really push the limits. Uh, so that's sort of what our role is. So it's really that that push to bring all these things together. I suppose as, as the very immediate follow on uh, from that that I that I have to ask to be honest um what 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 are the expectations for for this kind of a market and and in general kind of going forward you know does the IFC specifically have a perspective on I don't want to say ramping because that's what everybody talks about but more you know aspirationally uh, you know how how positive are you about the emergence of this kind of general space more broadly 
No, I think we're we're very we're very positive in the sense that you know it is essential to to get it off the ground and quickly uh, to decarbonize you know a number of sectors and achieve the sort of the the the, the ambitions in terms of, of getting to net zero. So I think it's uh, absolutely we we fully are behind the space and we put together this team and and and, and a and a strategy uh, to to achieve that. I think the key question is is timing. And and how fast do we do we get there, and in in what areas? Um, so I th- I think in in that respect, what we're trying to make sure is that people have adult conversations around what it's going to take, very specifically for a green hydrogen project, be it green ammonia, be it hydrogen, be it methanol, to actually get off the ground and be financed. Because I think we're all very aware there have been tens, if not hundreds, of MOUs signed, but what does it actually take? And, and, and specifically the larger projects, which will require port infrastructure, transmission infrastructure, changes in regulation, um, and a whole series of other elements to, to actually come, come together. So, you know, we've seen the Neom project in Saudi Arabia uh, announce financial close, and, that, and that's great. But that has some very large sponsors, a very specific sort of circumstance to have achieved that that level of 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 of, uh, of, um, of, of progress in terms of the, the financing. Uh, there there are a few other projects uh, uh, in emerging markets that have the ingredients, at least for that those, those the first type of large green hydrogen projects. So, what we're focusing on, as I said before, uh, we have a, a list of about four hundred green hydrogen projects in emerging markets that we're actively. I would say more than tracking in discussions with, we're focusing on just a few of those to see if we can actually get those more, more credible ones uh, across the line. Uh, and we're helping them very specifically on looking at those bankability issues and helping them. What is it in terms of the port? What is it around the desalination that you need? What is it around the transmission infrastructure? What is it around the regulation that you need? Uh, so that we can really cobble those things together because we need some of these projects at scale to start bringing those costs down. Now, hopefully a lot of that scale up will also come from the US, will come from uh, maybe the EU and some other large countries and China, of course, uh, to bring down the cost. But we also need to get going in emerging markets. And when you see some of the ambitions, you know, we have to get this done tomorrow. <laughs> Look at the EU's um, ambitions, you know, 10 million tonnes per annum of green hydrogen imported by 2030. I mean, that's that's tomorrow. I mean, the amount of investment that you would re- require for that. Well, I think I think we can say hopefully not. But to your point, we, you know, there's a there's an urgency to make any of these goals real now. But um, glad to hear that uh, you're having or you're taking a, a positive uh, expectation on this, but also being diligent in terms of having those kind of adult conversations, which is is very important in emerging space that that we don't run away with ourselves a little bit. Beyond that, I think we just have to thank you for your time, Ignacio, and, and for joining us from Dubrovnik on, on your travels as well. Appreciate that uh, that this is a, a busy, busy space and uh, traveling the world seems to be uh, part, of the, part of the game these days, but really, really appreciate the time. No, thank you, Patrick, and thanks, Alicia. It was an absolute pleasure. So, Alicia, you started out on your introduction about talking about the uh, the dynamism and engagement that we're, we were going to see out of the IFC, and, and I think Ignacio uh, did a did a great job in, in kind of conveying the kind of the work and the the engagement point that they're they're taking on at the moment. What are what are your reflections on that on that uh, that interview? 
I was really surprised, I guess, to to see the um, extent to which they have been engaged in active green hydrogen projects. I mean, you spoke in depth about Barbados, but I, I know that they have a couple other things that they're working on that are that are big projects. It's not just writing descriptions or or country analyses or any he's they're actively getting involved in projects and um i was i was pretty happy to hear that i don't know what what stood out most to you there's there's a couple of pieces of value that he kind of flagged which is you know the ifc obviously as a more commercially oriented part of the multilateral space has been playing the role of of kind of rollout of very very large scale projects in in emerging economies for for an extended period of time and, and bringing that and leveraging that experience but also bringing that to the the kind of green uh, technology pathways and and towards the end obviously asking about you know their perspective on on this um, you know emerging space um, the fact that it is necessary that he he flagged that as a recognition point but also that they are you know, looking at a portfolio of 400 projects already is encouraging. I think whether we like it or not, we have to kind of move all pieces forward at the same time here. So it really doesn't matter where, so long as it's everywhere. And um, to that end, you know, there were some encouraging points around that. There's obviously and, and some tension about how you roll out and get these sort of projects financed. The conversation around offtake is certainly one that we we always hear regularly um, in general, and and it's something that is is emerging. But yeah, I think I think there's there's quite a bit here to think about around you know the profile of of kind of projects that we want to prioritize. There's there's kind of opportunity, but but also fundamentally we get to that big system market creation kind of thing, which. You know, it's it's you know, I'll take the positive from it. It's good to to hear that folks in the IFC are actively thinking about some of that as we move into a, a far more deployment and, and an implementation oriented space. But um, it, I think it just highlights one of the pressure points really that's emerging in the market. Yeah, I mean, I think creation of a market is 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 quite difficult and and by nature global. Um, so organizations like IFC and other multilaterals that you know, have a very global viewpoint, either their clients are on the um, developed country side and they're, they're dispersing and they're, they're investing in, in, com- in countries that are developing. So they pretty much have a relationship with every country in the world. And it is entities like this that are able to help construct a new market right? Because it does require a lot. It, it requires willing buyers and sellers and regulations and, you know, transportation and logistics and all sorts of things that are that are quite global. So it really is necessary that, that players like this get involved to, to help build new markets. I, I think sometimes you have things like, you know, with, with LNG, with just Japan alone, you were able to build a market. Um, and I think, you know, we might see that in a couple of different industries or a couple of different um, silos within hydrogen. But ideally, you would have somebody like IFC and IMO and um, and then, you know, World Bank, people coming from a global perspective to help build a market so that uh, you're really taking everything into account. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a very fair one, because I, I think, you know, more and more 
there's an opportunity here to 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 make that sequence step change, right? In in you know we, we've historically seen this in in some emerging economies around like cell phone network rollout rather than conventional wire rollout and you know, right. that infrastructure step change potential. You know, one of the the questions, you know, it's, it, and it's by no means a guarantee, but but you know, can we? jump ahead of that LNG infrastructure build out or, or similar in this transition point. And, you know, fundamentally that is a lot of infrastructure investment. That is a lot of vision that has to, to come into being. And it's also going to be, you know, somewhat contentious to that end. You know, this is a, you know, potentially a very, very valuable and impactful opportunity. If you can, if you can make that step change, both in terms of climate, but also in terms of the feasibility of the the investment portfolio that 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 kind of needs to roll out, right? You're not going to talk about stranding risks in the same way if we can make some of these changes. So yeah. there is a um, there is a fundamental risk aspect to this, which uh, which might well emerge in in front of our eyes a little bit, um, or a de-risking exercise in a way that may emerge in front of our eyes. So interesting times for sure. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, investing in renewables versus investing in, I don't know, new oil discovery (laughs) or, um, you know, natural gas. I mean, renewables are so much less risky. You have so much information um, before you have to put in any real money. You're never going to lose a billion dollars because, you know, the wind didn't blow and you thought it was going to. Because, you know, I mean, the, the, the data that you can collect is very accurate. You obviously need to have baseload or, or some kind of balancing energy um, in order for, you know, to, for an entire system to succeed. So I'm not saying that renewables can stand alone in all cases. But, you know, as a bulk of the spend, it's the least risky. Uh, you really know what your costs are going to be for, you know, a, quite a long time. So it should be really appealing to leapfrog in this way and not have to build, at least in exploration, not have to spend a lot of money on very, very risky things like exploration. Could, couldn't, couldn't agree more. And, and that de-risking, you know, speaking of the work that, that, that I kind of look at at the moment, you know, we're talking about removal of volatility. Yeah. Right. And in pricing and and that kind of consistency that you can obviously build in, like, obviously there's always some level of volatility on on commodity pricing, right? There's always some level of of push around that, but like this consistency of, of power pricing offers you greater and greater stability around that. And that's, and that's, if nothing else, that is one of the, the strong emerging points that I think we, we regularly hear about and see, and also the reason folks are excited about this space. So, yeah. you know, with that, I think we have to give Ignacio, you know, uh, uh, you know, the opportunity to come back and, and tell us when some of these big projects uh, indeed roll out. Uh, there's a there's an interesting um, future and opportunity as this market and potentially multiple markets start to to emerge in the next little while. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see some of the, some of these, and especially because their focus is obviously their, their purview is entirely uh, the global south, right? So this is so all of the projects will be in these countries that can potentially leapfrog. So I, I think it is they will be all really exciting projects. That was everything about hydrogen, hosted by Patrick Malloy, Alicia Eastman, and Chris Jackson. 
Again, if you're a fan of the show, we would absolutely love if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps boost us up the charts and let more people find us. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Thank you.